0: What's going on, grappling fans? first you know, mentally in the
1: game. Or two, got... <laughs> oh, pretty close.
0: Hey, good afternoon, Grappling fans. It is Wednesday, and it's time for another episode of Who's Number One. Uh, We have a very special guest joining us this afternoon, someone that's done a lot of different kind of work with us. He's been a celebrity interviewer, he's come to the office, and of course, we've covered his matches quite a bit. He's a world champion. Talking about world champion Muhammad Ali. Uh, Thank you for calling in, Muhammad. How are you doing out there? Pretty good, guys. How are you? Doing just fine. We also have a regular co-host, Ricardo Amendoglia, calling up from Canada. Ricardo, how's your afternoon going? What's new, man?
2: Doing fine. Got the kids uh, under control so we can uh, execute this podcast here. All is good up in the great Canadian wilderness. <laughs> That's good. That's great good. Canadian.
1: So, uh, mm-hmm. Ali, what are you up to these days while you're on uh, you know, quarantine like the rest of us? Obviously, without training jujitsu, jitsu everybody's finding new hobbies and stuff. What are you doing to pass the time?
3: Yeah, man, I've been getting crazy lately. Um, Right now, I'm just trying to ride my two bikes, my bicycle and my motorcycle. Uh, I still do my social media stuff. You know, I have a course going on right now in Brazil. And, yeah, that's what I've been doing, hanging out with my baby, you know, my little daughter. And getting crazy, just like everybody else.
1: You were telling us before we went on the air that... uh your course in Brazil is, is for helping people, uh, like the mental aspect of sports, right?
3: Yeah, not just that. Like It's basically everything. We, I, I teach a lot of techniques and I also have professionals to go to talk about the psycho part of the game, you know, to understand themselves. Uh, everything, man, I have my strength and conditioning coach explaining people what to do. Uh, we talk a little bit about nutrition. We talk about everything in there, you know. It's like a Full coaching kind of thing. I don't know.
1: Is that all in Portuguese? Yeah. Uh
3: uh-huh.
1: All right. Uh, what uh, What kind of stuff are you giving people tips to do right now? Now that things have changed, you get giving people different workouts. You like stuff to do at home, or
3: man, like at first in the first two weeks, I told them not to freak out. You know, because I saw a lot of people saying, "Hey, that's when you have to train. That's when you have to do this and that." Blah 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 blah. I was like, hey, guys, man, that's a good opportunity for you to have a beer, you know, like go drink a beer with your wife, you know, do your thing, because now is not the time to be crazy about anything, because we don't know how long that thing is going to last. It can be a month, it can be six months, everything is canceled. So if you freak out about your discipline, you're going to end up killing somebody, you know, so relax a little bit, you know, and that's what I did too. For two weeks, I I was in Brazil for one week. And here for one week, man, I was chilling. I, I, I tried to drink a little bit, but I didn't. You know, when I, when I, when I saw it was over the two weeks, but I, man, I was doing nothing. You know, enjoying myself, enjoying the silence. You know, not watching no jujitsu. and that's what I told them. I was like, man, you've been training, you've been doing good, you're investing time and everything in yourself. So now, chill a little bit. That's what I did.
1: Uh, You were in Brazil when things first started kicking off, right? You were down there at Dream Art. Yeah.
3: Uh-huh. And- yeah. So I went there uh, to do my camp for Pans. And yeah, and then they, they first said they might cancel the worlds, but Pans would still go, you know, when it happened. And then they had to cancel Pans soon. And then I was like, oh, damn. I wanted to come back home, but then I went to Rio for five days to spend days with my mom and everything, and then I came back here.
1: Uh, Ali, are you trying to share the YouTube link?
3: Yeah. Is, there's looking, a there's I'm a problem looking. with
1: the YouTube uh, the connection right now. Facebook would be the way to go. Share the Facebook link. Yeah, I'll do. Yeah, yeah it, for different. some reason the the connection on you have been kind of done. quiet over here, guys. We're <laughs> trying to trying to work with our
0: IT crew, see what's up. Could be an issue with the servers, Yeah, I was, but... I was
3: looking. I was like, oh, okay, so I can't see. The... Stand by. It is
0: pending, but we're we're definitely live on Facebook and of course on flowgrappling.com.
1: What about you, Ricardo? What kind of strength and conditioning are you doing up there in Canada?
2: Well, I've been uh, carrying my kids up and down the stairs, taking them to bed, and. You know, a bunch of stuff like that, you know. Uh, no, nah, not too much. Just do a little. I did a little P90X with my wife this morning as we got up. That's awesome. So school. it was kind of cool. Nice.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, school. that's a lot, man. Like taking care of the kids, that's, man, that's a hard job. Yeah. A lot of times we don't appreciate that, but, man, that's a real thing. <laughs> you know,
2: you, you I know you were saying that you had a coach for uh, Psycho. And I think you meant psychological, but, you know, I, I think I need a psychological coach so I don't go psycho trying to chase these kids yeah. and hold them down. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but now, oh you know, God, what's man. happening here. It's, it's we have the homeschooling here. So we're like I'm having to do work and, you know, do stuff with my wife and try to get some workouts in. And then we got to do the homeschooling because now all the schools here in Canada, uh, they assigned uh, work for the kids at home. So a lot of responsibility on my plate these days. But. Happy to be here.
1: I hadn't even thought about man, this. Dude, you're having man, to be the dude. teacher.
2: Yes, yeah. So I'm like, I'm teaching him math, and then I'm like, ah, math sucks. You don't need that anyway. Don't worry about it. So <laughs> let's, we'll go to another. Let's go to geography. <laughs> you know, no, but uh, it's yeah, it's fun. It's a learning experience for everyone in all aspects of life.
1: Ali, what, what kind of uh, strength and conditioning you do? You do like push ups or pull ups or anything when you're at home uh during this
2: man
3: i actually built the whole gym in my house at first i was like okay i'm just gonna do prison workouts you know i'm just gonna do like push-ups pull-ups a lot of crazy stuff but then i text lloyd and say man i am getting crazy can i get some weights from the gym and stuff and he was like man i don't think nobody got that yet so you can go there and grab it but I'm not giving you the keys, you know? He was like, I'm not getting no virus <laughs> on <only>. you. <Yeah. laughs> grab, grab, the, grab the keys from somebody else. And then I went to Jamal's, grabbed the, the keys, went there. I got weights now at home. I'm trying to get like a squat, a squat stance. Uh, that's the only thing that I need now. And if I do that, man, I might never go to the gym again. I might just stay at home, just like Galvon do, you know?
1: Yeah, if you got it all there, if you get the squat rack and everything. Uh, Ali, something I wanted to uh, get into a little bit with you I think people will be interested in. I I assume, I've never asked you this, you're named after the boxer, right? You got to be.
3: Yeah. Uh-huh. How,
1: how did that end up happening?
3: What, me training or my... No, him, how, how,
1: was your dad a fan of boxing or your, your parents or something? How did, how...
3: In Brazil, they had something called Baile de Briga back in the 90s, 80s and 90s, which was just like a fight club, but bigger and not... not, It didn't look as cool as the movie. Like, it was literally 500 guys fighting each other on a party, you know? And you had, like, two or three security people, but that was, like, that was what poor people did back in Brazil, back in the time. You know, before the graces before the p-boys and everything the poor guys was going to the parties and fighting each other but it was like a team a and tb and it was it was ugly but he used to do that my dad so that's when he was like okay so my dad my my son would be a fighter blah 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 blah, blah. and that's and he like the guy back in the day i mean he sued the, the man muhammad ali and he was like okay i'm gonna name him like Muhammad, but he didn't even know how to spell it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Muhammad, did Ali, uh... sorry, go ahead,
0: Ricardo.
2: Was you? Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna say Ali. I used to hear stories about these Balaju brigas, yeah. and didn't they do something where, like, there was like two sides, and then if a certain song or a certain music would happen, then they would kind of start getting towards each other and then just scrapping, something like that. Yeah,
3: they had they had a lot of different ones, but like the first ones was they they would have a rope. On the middle, you know, that would that would separate the teams, right? And mm-hmm. like if you if you live in a neighborhood, you team A. And if you need another neighborhood, you're team B. But the bad thing would be if they out, if they're not partying during the week, if you if you have a girl or something, if they see you, they're gonna beat you up in the streets, just like they do it nowadays with soccer. You know, mm-hmm. so like looks like people there they like to fight, you know, still they still like that. They wanna fight soccer teams and everything. but um it was it wasn't a specific music and that it became a specific music, but it was just they would just go there to fight, you know, they would put the best clothes <laughs> they had or get, get from somebody else the nice clothes and go fight, you know.
1: Was your dad a big dude too?
3: Uh yeah, he was tall. He wasn't big, but he was tall. I think he was like six six one or six two. Six I think six I think he was six one. I'm six two.
1: So I was gonna ask you how you got into uh jujitsu. uh for, first off, okay, if you're named after the boxer, did you ever think about going into boxing or did you ever follow boxing at all or was it always jujitsu for you?
3: No, it was never jujitsu. It was never anything, yeah, actually. yeah. I didn't wanna. I didn't wanna fight. I didn't think about fighting until I was thirteen or fourteen. You know, I did a little bit of capoeira when I was little. Uh, I did a, I did a little bit of kung fu too, but I didn't think about like going professional. You know, being good or anything. And then I was. I was doing basketball on school, and then I start high school and I didn't do anything. I was getting crazy. You know, I had a lot of energy and I was getting crazy at home. Uh, And that's when I started training kickboxing. You know, so I I actually started on kickboxing first.
1: What age did you start kickboxing?
3: I was 14, I think. 14, 13, 14.
1: And then uh, how did you get into jujitsu from there?
3: Yeah, I was, um, how can I say? I was doing pretty good at kickboxing. I was even visiting other gyms, you know. It, back in the day, it was it was the way I would have fun. Just go to other gyms and try to beat up other kids or other <laughs> teenagers or even adults, you know. I was trying to do that and not like not having to fight on the street, but you know, actually going to a gym and fight that would be nicer. And then uh, that's how I started doing. I saw I saw going around. Um, no, it, it wouldn't be challenges, but it would be challenges. You know, if you go if you show up at somebody's gym, they try to beat you up. And I was having fun with this. And then um one time, man, one guy invited me to do a MMA round. And he got me in the triangle. And then I was like, "Damn, man, I have to learn that thing." You know, I knew about jiu-jitsu. I had a lot of friends training and competing and everything, but I didn't like it. I was like, "Man, that's, you know, that's not cool." And then eventually, when I I felt it, I was like, okay, so I have to learn this thing, you know.
0: How long did it take you to uh, start feeling good about jiu jitsu? How how long was it for you to uh, take up some of that skill set?
3: I mean, I still don't feel good, man. You're a world champion. I still don't don't feel good. I I, I still think I have to learn a lot, you know. But as soon as I stopped tapping every single round, you know, because. At first, the, the school I went for the first time, I wasn't training with, only with white belts. You know, I was training with everybody. And I, I love to roll with black belts and everything, you know. But my problem was I was kind of intense, you know. I didn't stop. And so guys would have to beat me up, you know, to make me stop. So I, that, that was embarrassing a little bit because I really thought I, I could beat the black belt. You know, I was like, man, like, he's just another guy. How can he beat me, you know? And I would get frustrated, you know, by tapping for higher belts. And then eventually I understood, I was like, okay, so that's not about, that's not a fight, you know, that's a, you have you have to know a lot to be able to do something. It's not just come here and fight, you know, like if you're just fighting, you're not doing jiu-jitsu, you know. I, I sometimes think jiu-jitsu is not even a fight. You know, it's a game. It's, it's something else. You know.
1: So you're born and raised in Rio, right? You're always from Rio.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rio,
1: you're from uh, like Jacare Pagua or something out there in that direction, correct?
3: So I went there later. Oh, okay. I went there later. I first, I, I first, until nine, I was in Caxias. And then I went to Jacarepaguá.
1: Duque de Caxias? Or a different Caxias?
3: Duque de Caxias. Yeah, Over there, yeah, because yeah, yeah, my yeah. wife's from Niteroi,
1: yeah. so I know where that is, it's not far. is from there. Uh,
3: Gutierre, um yeah, a couple of people are from there. Uh-huh. Yeah, Duque de Caxias. Uh-huh. So, uh, it's a big
1: city. Yeah, it's on the, the Guanabara Bay, right? Which uh, Yeah. Which, mm-hmm. what, what, so where did you start training? What was the first school you started training at?
3: I started training in Barra da Tijuca. Um, Brigadero. Brigadero. He's uh, De La Riva's black belt.
1: Oh, okay. And then from there, you went to, like, what,
3: Team Nogueira or something at one point, right? Team Nogueira. yeah. I wanted to do MMA. You know, I only started Jiu-Jitsu because I kind of want to do MMA. And then I went to Team Nogueira for three years, I think, or four. And then I came here to to Lloyd, and I'm still here.
1: What, what was the connection uh, with Lloyd's? Because I know a lot of guys... A lot of Brazilians go there through Gigo, but those are guys going through Sao Paulo. You were you were from Rio. How did you end up going to to Lloyd?
3: Yeah, so that was on uh Abu Dhabi trial. That was that was kinda crazy, man, because at first I was in my house uh I was living with other eight athletes, right? And there was a guy who used to live with us. His name is Vinicius Queiroz. He fought UFC. He was a big dude too. And he man, he used to follow Lloyd for everything. You know, so he used to have a computer. I remember him having a computer. He he would open his computer and say, Hey Mahamio, you come here, man. Watch Mahamin. this guy. You know, uh, yeah, they would call me Mahamin back then. Because <laughs> but he, but he's this guy is like seven two or seven one. <laughs> so he's super tall. Yeah. You know? And um he would say, "Hey, man, you gotta watch this guy, you know, because he he knows everything about the business and blah 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 blah, and he also super good and he get he get, he got a great team behind him, blah blah blah." I was like, "Okay, so I'm gonna start following him." That was 2013. You know, I didn't. I think I didn't even have have a passport. You know, but I was already like watching Lloyd and everything. I knew Kina. But I didn't know JT, I didn't know the other guys, but I knew Keenan. And I didn't know Keenan was from there. You know, and then I, I um people start saying, Hey man, this guy, I remember him doing this on the tournaments. And I was like, man, what is this? And then he was like, What, man, that's Lloyd Irving, that's the same guy, blah blah blah. And then I start putting everything together. And one time, that was twenty fourteen already, I was in um I was in a Abu Dhabi trial. And I was with Urberth and Gobi. Do you remember Gobi?
1: Yeah, yeah. When As I mentioned. first started finding out about you, it was you, Erberth and Gobi. I was like, who are all these giant Brazilian guys representing <laughs> Lloyd Irvin? It was the three of you guys yeah. were like purple and brown belts killing everybody.
3: Yeah, so that we had the guys we used to call no team, right? Because I was from Chinoguera, and Chinogera is not a jiu-jitsu team, you know? Gobi was from Espirito Santo. I don't even remember which team he used to represent back in the day. So I would always hang out with Gorby because he didn't have no team, you know? And I would be by myself too. So we would help each other on the tournaments, you know? And I remember, we we used to be very cool with Urbeth. You know, every tournament he would be hanging out with us too, blah, blah, blah. And one day he said, man, I'm going Monday to Lloyd's, you know? And I was like, oh, okay, what you gonna do there? And I was like, man, like, this guy made Keenan. This guy made a lot of good people. I want to be good too, blah, blah, blah. I'm going. I don't care, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you guys come with us, with, with me? And then I was like, no, bro, I think I'm going to Atos. Because Andrea Galvão used to train at Chino Gera, you know? So I used to see Andrea in the same gym training in the same mat. You know, we didn't talk, but I felt we knew each other, you know, for some reason. But my biggest thing was I wanted to have Gobi going with me, you know. So that was the thing. I wanted Bruno Frazato back in the day to to, uh, introduce me to Andrea so I I could ask him to bring me and Gobi to Atos, you know. And that was crazy. And then, man, next thing I knew, that was Friday, I think, when we met Herbert. And Sunday, Gobi texted me and said, Hey, man, I'm going too. I'm going to Lloyd's. I was like, "Man, you going? What? We we're not going to Athos." He's like, "No, bro. I talked to Lloyd. Blah blah blah. I'm going there." I was like, "Man, that's so crazy." So now I'm not going to Athos anymore. I don't know where I'm going now, you know. But I needed I needed a jiu-jitsu team to do my camp for worlds, you know, because I was training with in a MMA team, you know. Uh, Tino Guerra was basically MMA people the jiu jitsu wasn't that good, you know. I mean it wasn't how can I say it? people were good but they wasn't they wasn't training for um, competitions, you know. And I needed I I was trying to win worlds as a purple belt before I do before I did MMA. And I was trying to, you know, find a jiu jitsu team to go. And the closest one, the good one I had back in Brazil was GF Team. You know but I used to fight those guys every weekend, man. And I was like, man, I don't want to go. If I'm fighting you guys every single weekend, I don't want to train with you. I want to beat you up. you know. <laughs> In my mind, that, that's how I I used to think. And then Gobi came with Urberth. But I don't think he, he stayed a long time. I think it was just like a week or something. And then after Abu Dhabi, I came here for a camp. I think I stayed 20 days for Worlds, and then I won Worlds, man. It was so crazy.
1: Was that I won, Purple I,
3: Bell? I Yeah, Purple Bell. And I don't think nobody scored a point on me on that day, you know, before besides the absolute. On my division, nobody scored a single point. So I fell in love with Lloyd. I fell in love with the team and with the fact that I didn't have anything else here to do besides training. You know, I was like, man, in real we kind of have stuff to do, you know, (laughs) and here, here we have to just focus on training and everything, and also I wanted to learn English, you know, so everything was perfect for me here, you know.
0: How difficult was that transition though? I mean, of course you had success on the mats, you won worlds, but it must have also been very challenging for you. Were there times that you almost went back to Rio or, or changed your situation around?
3: Yeah, it was very hard, um. I didn't know it was hard because everything else was hard too. So I thought that was the only way to, to win. It Maybe it was. Maybe it was for me, you know. Um, because of the the all the sacrifices I was making, I think it was perfect, you know. It was perfect. But it was very hard, you know, like learning the language was hard. When I came here, I kind of knew a little bit because I was already tra- traveling. But the thing was, people didn't know anything. And I, I knew a little bit, so that made me the translator, you know? <laughs> so I didn't know much and they knew even less. So that made me, you know, the, the the guy to speak. So I think that forced me to learn a little faster too. And I took the responsibility and everything. It was it was fun, man. I, I even miss it. I even miss it. like I, I remember I didn't have a car. I would have to ride with people to the gym. Like every, everything was challenging, you know, like going to the grocery store. Like I remember every single detail about my life back in the day. It was crazy hard, but it was fun too. I miss it, you know.
2: Ali, I was going to ask you, um, you mentioned that, uh, you know, your friend was showing you stuff about Lloyd Irvin on the computer and, you, you know, you learned about how he was training Kenan and and you wanted to go train with him was part of the reason that you wanted to go to kind of learn about maybe some of his marketing and social media stuff, or if not, was that something that you kind of picked up later? And if it was something you picked up later, what was the moment that you decided to do that? And and you know, talk a little bit about that.
3: Um, I didn't know about the marketing part yet. And I didn't value that as much. Even if I knew, I wouldn't care. You know, my thing was, I want to win worlds. I want to win tournaments. I want to, you know, have the opportunity to do what I want to do, you know. And he he was somebody who helped me a lot. He was kind of like my dad, man. You know, like everything that he did for me, it was so crazy. But as far as learning marketing, he's not the kind of person that's going to, how can I say He's very good in planting seeds. You know, he's going to have a vision and he's going to tell you something like, hey, man, I remember I was purple belt and he was telling me, hey, man, I think you should start writing a book. Then I was like, okay, but I wouldn't read my book. You know, I, I, I was like, okay, I wouldn't read that. So why would I write that for somebody to read? But back in the day, I wasn't ready to understand everything he was saying, but I, I would listen to it, you know. And then eventually I kind of, oh, okay, so now I think I understand. I, I think now I understand what, he's, what, he, what, he, what he was telling me two years ago, you know, and that's how he teaches me stuff, you know. He's going to tell me, hey, man, I think you should do this. And then a week or two or a month sometimes is going to go by, and then I'm going to start understanding what he was saying, you know. And he was he, he's going to tell me, hey, man, I think you should read this book. I'll get the book. Sometimes I'll read right away. Sometimes I'll take a month or two to read. You know, so that's the way we do stuff, me and him. He kind of tell me, hey, I think I should do this and that, blah, blah, blah. You know, as far as like communication, sometimes I post something. Back in the day, he would say, man, that was good. But think about somebody who don't know you. And you know, like he was always making me think like a client or some, or the audience. You know, hey man, I know you know you, but what what if I didn't know you? What would I understand from this? What you're trying to say? You know, so, and also watching him like the lives he does, the course. I went to courses with him, like marketing courses and everything. So by watching him, I learned a lot too. You know, so I think. If you're around him, you're gonna learn a lot just by watching, you know. But sometimes you are gonna ask questions too, because some stuff you just don't understand. Like some stuff, like he would he would tell me about email stuff back in 2015, and I would say, "Man, I don't even open my email," you know, like, <laughs> "No, I don't, I don't, I don't want to learn about no email stuff, no email list or anything." And then after, when I start uh, organizing my stuff to sell. I will listen from other people, you know, from the gurus that, man, you have to have an email list, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, damn, you know, he was right. So everything he says is going to stay in my mind and I can either learn right away or it's going to take a little bit for somebody else to tell me. And then I'll say, man, this guy told me that five years ago, you know, so that's <laughs> how I learned from him
1: it's it's funny you said you didn't used to check your email uh when i was setting up uh that event with all those color belts with mayram and all those guys those who's number one when i would have to email them i would have to send the email and then go to their instagram and message them and say hey go check your email because i know none of them check it.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah so, like it's not it's not a thing that young people do in brazil i think yeah I, I don't know about here but i don't think we do that at all in brazil you know only create to create an Instagram. You know, like, <laughs> oh, I have to create my Instagram. I need, I need an email to do that, you know. So that's the only... Or games. You know, guys play a lot of games now. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the only reason they create email accounts.
1: And stuff. So you were coming from Team Noguera, which, like you said, it was a good team, but it was MMA-focused. MMA uh, so you didn't really have a jiu-jitsu competition team around you. So when you went to Lloyd's, and they're they're strictly focused on jiu-jitsu competitions, what was the change-up in your training
3: there? Everything. The first thing was my grips. You know, I never thought about grips, strength, and everything before. I didn't think about that. And then I came here. It was, man, 2014 was me, only the heavy guys, right? Me, Herbert. Gobby, Tim, DJ, Big Saw, which is a big guy from Crazy Eighty Eight. I mean, he's not big anymore. He used to be big. Um, Big Willy. Um, even Devon brooch who would come here sometimes. Dude,
1: that guy you know, was really uh, good.
3: That that guy oh was a my God. that
1: guy used to oh be like I think God. he he used to beat people like Hudson and Mary He used to beat really good people when he was oh like a blue and purple. God.
3: Oh my God! I remember the first time I saw him was 2013, and I came to Worlds right, and I saw him beating. Man, I think he beat three great people very fast, very easy. Yeah. And then I didn't believe. You know, there, there's didn't
1: a there's believe. a blue belt there's a blue belt uh, podium I saw from Worlds recently where it was him in first. I think second was Hudson, and I think third place was Maragalli and Dante Leone. I think that was those. Those were the three guys behind him on the podium. He was really good back then.
3: Oh my god, he was he was awesome. And I used to like like letting him play guard and stuff because I never had to deal with De La Hiva and stuff. And he was very good at beating bolo back in the day, you know. So he would put everybody in beating bolos and everything. So I would just roll with him and let him put De La Hiva, and I would just playing from there, you know, trying to defend and trying to. Uh, react from there. It was it was great. So that was 2014. You know, it was awesome. And then 2015, Eberth left. Um, I think the DJ went to fight MMA. Uh, Devon wasn't here anymore. Big Saul wasn't here anymore. And Big really got a baby or something. You know, it was still great, but it was less people. You know, but you still I still won uh double gold. Uh by the way, two thousand fourteen we had like seven gold medals, man. We like thirty people or even less a worlds. And we had like we had like seven gold medals. You know, I won purple, uh Gobi won purple, Herbert won double gold, Tim won um uh, Brown Bell two, and there was two other people. I don't remember but yeah it was it was great and then 2015 it wasn't that great but, but you, i mean for me it was perfect you know i won the, I won double gold and it was awesome man you know and then i got my black belt and then i i struggled for two years until i mean a year and a half until i kind of felt better again fighting and competing you know it took a little time for me to you know feel confident as black belt What's Big oh, Willie yeah. up to? These,
1: what's Big Willie up to these days? What's Big Willie doing? Did he come back to training?
3: Sometimes he goes, man. But I don't know. I don't know. One time I saw him, he was fishing. I mean, I think he's taking care of his family now. I think he got another baby. You know, but he's man. He's still so Big Willie. Every time he shows up, <laughs> he's gonna show up, and people's gonna say, "Oh my god, man!" You know, man.
1: Mohamed, you it's mentioned... Uh, Wait, sorry, I cut Ricardo off. Ricardo, what were you going to say?
2: Yeah, I was going to say you left Brazil when you were a purple belt. And, um, you know, if anyone watches you compete, you know, we you, you could see that you have a pretty good takedown game, you know, a lot more judo style takedowns than like singles and doubles. Is that something that you started training in Brazil or developed in Brazil? Or is that something that you kind of picked up with Lloyd and kind of, uh, you know, cultivated at TLI?
3: It's weird, man, because judo was never my thing, not even wrestling. But I would try stuff. That I think I think that was my biggest thing. Like if you teach me something at the uh, at training, I'll try, you know. And sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. And because maybe I don't know, man. Um, we trained judo here for a little bit. Um, one time we had. Sugi, which was a judo world champion from Mongolia. And the next time we had a guy called, oh my God, I forgot his name. He's a hard name from Mongolia too. They both super good. This guy's like Olympic silver medalist and everything. And it was pretty good, but it was always short time. You know, it was always like a month or two to learn a lot, but you, you can learn a lot in two months, you know, but I think the biggest thing here was grip fighting. We do a lot of grip fighting. You know, now a lot of schools are doing this. But I remember when I first came here, I never heard about this before. You know, I remember people wasn't doing people start training, they grab a pull guard or they start from their knees. You know, and us we did every single day grip fighting and everything. And that was my thing, I think. Like I learned a lot. I used to hate it. But I learned a lot just by making people pull guard wrong or learning how to pull guard or learning how to set up a troll or something. And we had Tim doing a lot of train wrecks. And I think, I might be wrong, but I think that's when Herbert started doing the train wreck too, you know, the little troll he does. Mm. I think he noted, he fell here with Tim first because Tim was the guy doing that every single day to everybody, man. And uh, yeah, we learned a lot from each other doing that, those kind of things, you know. And I don't know, man. I don't. I don't think I have a good judo at all. I think I just try stuff, you know. And yeah. Mohammed, you mentioned that your your
0: first year, first year and a half at black belt was kind of a tough road for you, you know. But you you had won two years in a row uh, gold medals at the world championships and many other things. What were those obstacles? You know, what what was keeping you back from reaching your your success? Um, what, what factors are playing into that?
3: Yeah, at first I think I was a little arrogant because when I won worlds as brown belt, in my mind I was like, okay, so next year I am gonna beat Bushesha twice. I am gonna beat him in my, in his division, or I mean my division, and in the absolute. You know, I think that was my mistake because I was a super heavy guy, and I went up to fight him twice you know, which was crazy. I didn't (laughs) even make it. You know, I didn't even fight him. I lost uh, earlier, earlier rounds. So that was my biggest thing, I think, looking back. And also the training here got a little slower, you know, because we had Herbert left, Gobi now left too. Um, DJ was fighting MMA. Tim retired for a year.
1: Oh, I forgot after
3: about that. Lost, yeah, yeah. After he lost to uh, Lucas Leite at Worlds, he thought it was a big. He, he, he got robbed, and he got him very upset. You know, he was very mad. He thought everybody hated him, and he he thought he would never become a world champion because people wouldn't let him do that. You know. Because it was it was bad. It was it was very bad. Like he beat the guy and everything. Anyways. So then he got mad and got a job and stopped training. So the year before I had like a plenty of people to train and then the next year it was basically me, I think. Like I like from like heavy guys, I don't think we had a lot in twenty sixteen. You know, and I think for me that was a big a big deal too. I didn't think about that back in the day but now looking back I think that was a that was something you know that was something too and that let me see 2016 yeah man like every, everything like you, you fighting the best guys ever you know you fighting better people you fighting stronger people you cannot make mistakes you have to be patient and I still have a big problem about being patient I'm not I, I want to do stuff now I don't want to wait two or three minutes until you know People get tired. So I I, ha- I had a lot of problems that I had to fix in my mind, in my game, you know. And I think that was it, you know, the first year. The second year, I got hurt a lot, you know. We were training so much. We did a, a lot of stuff. And looking back, I think I, we did a little too much, you know. And I got hurt for every single tournament. I was hurt, you know. I, I got hurt for every single tournament. But, in the other hand, because we did too much, I was very strong in two thousand and eighteen without doing that much of training you know so even our mistakes helped us in in the next couple of years you know, and we learned a lot
1: who would you say uh throughout your black belt career there's a few people who you've had uh several matches with who are some of your i guess you would say rivals people who've really pushed you or you've uh who have made you you know aspire to get better because you know you gotta fight them like who, do, who would you say some of your, your biggest rivals have been so far as a black belt
3: I don't know man I don't my mind doesn't work like this sometimes I even try to do that but that gets me stressed out it more than helps me but I would say Mayagali, right like Mayagali yeah. is the guy who you know he's very good and it's always very intense to fight him. You know, he's always very intense. For sure. You know, it's always very hard. Yeah. Erberth too. You know, well, Erberth is what was it like with intense.
1: Erberth? Because he went from being your teammate to your opponent all of a sudden. How, how did that work out? Were you guys still, like, cool when you're competing with each other? Or did you talk after the match? Or how was that?
3: Man, at first, like, we, we didn't have a beef or anything like that. But because he left... We had a little sense of okay, so this guy left, you know, we have to beat him up. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't a, it wasn't anything like, man, I don't like this guy or anything. But it was like, Man, no, we, we cannot lose to this guy. You know, we have, well, he, we have he, to beat him.
1: He left or he got I, I always just assumed he got kicked out just because of his airbirth. He, he did he leave on his own?
3: No, 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 okay. no. He didn't no no Lloyd Lloyd loves him. Oh, okay, he, he, like people from the team loves him. Like, everybody... Maybe because because they don't speak Portuguese, you know? But um, they, they love him, man. They love him. The guy, the guy is very... Like, he helped the team a lot, too. And the team helped him a lot, too, you know? So, it was a great... It was a good relationship, you know? No, he didn't got kicked out. He, okay. he just let... I remember he was, like, back and forth, right? Like, Giggle and Lloyds. And at one point... I don't remember. I think because he couldn't uh, learn English, he was he was here for 6 months by himself and he didn't learn English, you know. So maybe the communication was harder for him and he was bored, you know. And yeah, man, I think I think that was the main thing for him to leave. And then he went back to Brazil and training at Giggle was just as good as here, I think. And he decided he would just train at giggles but he had a weight on his mind that he would um build his gym and build his sim and everything i think that was what he had on his mind back in the day you know
1: and then another person who you used to compete against a lot and then eventually started training with is uh cyborg you had some really good matches i remember one i took that picture of you guys throwing each other remember where you guys are both in the air you and cyborg And then, and then uh, you ended up yeah. training with him. So maybe describe competing against Cyborg and how you ended up going to train with him in Miami.
3: Yeah, so um, we fought twice. We fought um, in a little no gi tournament in um, in Florida. But that was a setup, man. I kind of don't, I don't, I don't oh, want to yeah? talk about that. Oh, yeah? I was at that, that tournament. <laughs> I talk about that. Because I fought Jared Dopp, man. I had like three rounds Fighting Jared Dog, but it was very intense. It was crazy. I remember and it was a, a wild left, match. Yeah, I left the mat because I was losing like six zero first round or something, and then I had to score like seven or I had to score nine points because he scored two more points. Anyway, it was crazy, and then as soon as I left the mat, the guy said, "Okay, you had you have two minutes to rest," <laughs> and then I was like, "Man." Come on, like I just fought. I cannot rest for two minutes and then fight Cyber. And the guy, no, no, yeah, you have to. You you have two minutes, you know. And the guy was his student, you know, Marcel. <laughs> okay, I love Marcel. I love Cyber, but that was bad. Anyway, so uh, I fought him, and then I fought him again at Worlds, right? And right after the fight, we went to ADCC. a Couple months after, and then in ADCC, he said. They, they had a little hurricane situation in Florida. Remember that? I forgot the name, I think it was Katarina, right? Or something, I forgot okay. the name. The hurricane's name. Uh, and Harvey, then he came the Harvey, to me, yeah. I don't remember. And then he came to me and asked, hey man, do you wanna teach a seminar in my school to help my students? And then I found that very nice from him. You know, like if somebody beat me, I don't know if I'm gonna invite them to my school to teach a seminar you know and from that thing i was like man this guy is very nice i knew everybody said he would he was nice but it's still like okay he's nice but you know we fight every time we don't have to be friends you know in my mind and then man one time this guy when he invited me to go there i went there i was like man this guy man this dude he's he's beyond competition you know he's a whole another level of like being a friend and being like a nice dude and that's the kind of guy i want to be when i'm his age you know and that's when it started and then we trained a little bit that on that trip but it wasn't a lot but we always talk like i text him i ask about business i ask him about everything like like even like seminars and stuff back in the day i didn't know how, how much to charge and stuff Oh, like, hey, Cyborg, man, like, how much should I charge this on that? And how much that costs? So, like, that, those kind of questions, you know, a lot of people don't talk about money. And he would, hey, man, like, that's how much I charge, you know, that's what I should, you should do, that's what I do, blah, blah, blah. That's when we became friends, you know. And then when I needed a place to train for ADCC in 2019, uh, I talked to Lloyd, you know, I was thinking about, I was thinking between Atos and Fight fighter Sports fight sports, because I have a great relationship with Galvon and I have a nice relationship with uh, with Cyber too. And those are the great teams to train for Nogi, you know. And then we talked, I went there and it was awesome, you know. I trained with him like every single day, twice a day. I learned a lot from him, you know. And yeah, man. And we knew we could possibly fight, you know, on the on the tournament. And he was very nice with that. He didn't care. I was like, okay, I don't care too. Let's just do it, you know. So he's he's an awesome guy, man. He's beyond competition. He's beyond everything. He's jujitsu, you know. He's beyond teams and everything. He's jujitsu. He's a friend, you know.
0: Man, uh, what I, I wanted to ask you, what was the deciding factor? You said you were talking to Andre from Atos and you ended up at Fight Sports. Was it just that personal relationship that won you over? Was it the proximity? You know, it's a bit closer to where you live most of the time. You know, it's, it's just kind of crazy to imagine you training with Andre ahead of ADCC. Like, I'm just thinking about that right now. It's kind of blowing my mind. I'm just curious how you made that choice to end up down there in Florida.
3: Yeah, so in Atos, I would have more people to fight against. And in my mind I would be like okay so Kaan, I'll probably be fighting this guy for the next 10 years <laughs> yeah, you know it's true yeah. it's not it's not it's not the same about Andre you know uh, about Tideborg. you know like he might be be around for the next 10 years but it's, it's kind of different you know? yeah and yeah, so yeah. that that was one thing and Hulk, too like all those guys I was thinking like okay so I might be fighting them you know forever. So, like everything like it was cheaper to go to Florida, you know and everything else, so uh, we we decided to to go fight sports, but the, both will be great you know
2: Ali Ali um before we started, you were talking you know you and I were kind of chatting a little bit about um the psychological aspect and the importance of having like a a psychological game and and you know understanding that. You know, for jujitsu, and you know, not just about the technique. And obviously, it's important to be super technical, but that psychological, the you know, the game plan and the strategy and stuff like that. And I guess you had mentioned that as something that you're working on with one of the courses you're selling in Brazil. Can, can you talk a little bit about how um, you know psychologically, you know, sometimes maybe you're going into a, a match where maybe technically you felt. You know a little overmatched but your psychological was so strong that you even overcame or you know just talk to us about your course that you're doing with, with sort of that psychological game planning involved
3: yeah a lot of stuff that i'm learning now on i didn't know back in the day but i was doing already you know like lloyd he's very good he's he's very good at like visualizing and everything you know so he taught me over the years that it doesn't matter. Like a lot of stuff don't, don't matter, honestly. And how can I say that? You have a lot of, you have a lot of pillars with the game in every sport, right? We have the technical, the physical, the emotional, the strategical, like everything you have to understand for you to beat somebody. Some people, if you do jujitsu, you're not going to beat them. Like, if, you, if you're realistic, like, oh, okay, this guy, if I just do jiu-jitsu, I'm not going to beat this guy, you know? But but that's not the only way to beat somebody. Like, technique, getting the perfect grip, doing the perfect motion, doing the perfect thing, that's not how you beat somebody a lot of times, you know? And, if, and when you see, like, finals in Worlds and everything, like, there's a lot of stress, you know? And the guy who can play, who can be cool with the stress under stress, under pressure, can win the fight a lot of times, you know. Even, like, we, we mentioned Valid here, right? Like, Valid back in the day was the uh, an example from that. He wasn't the guy who was the most technical. the, the his, his game wouldn't look that great. But, man, he got hard, you know, and he was, you know, pushing the guys. He was training. He was well-prepared. He was strong, you know. So, we here believe that we can beat anybody if we find the right the right strategy you know with some people we have to do jujitsu you know and man he cannot grab here or we cannot grab there or we should not give him this delapel or whatever and that way we're gonna find a way to win if we don't play their games you know but for some people we're like okay we can just play jujitsu for six minutes and we know they're gonna get tired so, like, studying and understanding the game and the person we're going to fight, it makes it easier, you know?
1: If you could go back uh, and talk to yourself back when you were at Team Nogueira before you were a uh, professional with this, what what would be one piece of advice you would give yourself about being a jujitsu
3: competitor? Oh, my God. <laughs> I think it we'll would be to we'll read a little more you know, read a little more, understand the psychological part of every, like, because every sport is the same, you know, and when I came here, I started reading a lot of books, you know, I had a lot of time to read and everything, and that made me understand the mindset behind a lot of great people, you know, and sometimes you're doing stuff that's right and you don't know it's right, so you kind of hesitate or you don't know if you should keep doing that. And some other times you're doing stuff that's wrong, but you think it's right. And it's nice when you read stuff. It's like now when I like listen to Fabio Gugel and stuff that he says, it's like, man, it's good that he said that because I think the same way. But a lot of times I think it's wrong, you know, because nobody ever told me to think or do like that. And when you have somebody that's super good telling you or saying that they do some stuff, and you kind of see yourself in there, it gives you confidence, you know? So that's why I kind of like to um, read nowadays and listen to people who reach to a great point, you know?
1: Amazing answer. I really like that one. Uh, so you have this ambassador uh, relationship with the Dream Art program, their Dream Art project, yeah. right? Can you explain you know, a little bit yeah. what you're up to with Dream Art?
3: So, yeah, what happened with Dream Art, Dream Art was. Um, I had my podcast, right, Sotinho, which is like a, what we're doing now, but it's in Portuguese. And I would interview all kinds of people, you know, like from young to older and like everything. And I remember I did one interview with Isaac, Baez. you say Isaac, right? Mm. So we had an interview with him, and it was very nice. And that was actually the first time I saw him fa- uh, talking about his life. Because a lot of jiu guys, they don't feel comfortable to talk. But maybe talking with other athletes makes them more confident, you know, comfortable or whatever. And then the guy opened up, man. He was telling about, like, all his, like, childhood and everything, growing up, all the struggles and everything. And there was a guy in, uh, in Alliance. They used to train together, but they, they kind of didn't know each other, you know, very well. And the guy was thinking about helping jiu-jitsu. You know, the guy was helping other sports with his uh, company. But he wasn't helping jiu-jitsu, not that I know about. And after watching the thing, he was like, man, I kind of want to help this guy, you know, a little more. And at first he started doing like privates with Izaki and everything. And they that's how they start their relationship. You know, they start helping... Um, four guys and then became six and then 10 now they have like 50 people you know and the thing is growing a lot so the guy uh, wally i don't even know if he likes to talk about his name but uh he kind of i don't know like we never had that conversation but i think he was kind of grateful for what i did you know and what i do not just for dream or for isaac but for jiu-jitsu you know And he was kind of like, okay, so I'm thinking about, you know, projects and everything. I want to talk to you about that. And at first we had a little talk that was last year and we didn't find we didn't get a deal, you know, because the way he thought it was different from my point of view. And then it wasn't a deal to work together, but it was the start of the relationship, a friendship, you know. And then this year we started talking and he was like, man, you always say good stuff about us. Because they had a little issue with people talking bad about them. People who didn't know. And like a lot of guys, they left their teams and went dream Art, So the instructors got a little upset. And a lot of people were talking bad about them in Brazil. And I was the one who always meant If you're paying a kid in Brazil to go to school, if you're teaching them English, if you're educating the kids, I'm going to always support you. I don't care. You know, and I I was kind of like that. I was like, man, these guys drop out high school and now they're studying. You know, some of the guys are doing, like, uh, uh, university or anything. Like, I will always support people who think about education, you know, because a lot of kids, especially in Brazil, they quit school because they think it's very good just to do Jiu-Jitsu and then they become very, very good with Jiu-Jitsu but they don't do, they don't know how to do anything else because they're not educated, you know, so that was my biggest thing with them and I always say good stuff about them and the guy was like, okay man, why don't we do like a little sponsorship for you and you, you don't have to do anything for us, just basically you wear a patch or something and I was like, okay man, I'm cool with that and then we did, I went there to train with them a little bit and it's been great, man. When you visited,
0: what was the vibe like there? I mean, I've seen a lot of video come out. It looks like such a cool project. And I uh, absolutely have to agree with you and echo the, the idea of giving kids an education and and bigger skill sets outside of jiu-jitsu is an amazing thing. But was it really interesting to go there yourself and, and see it in person?
3: Yeah, I felt, I felt, man, I was, when in my first week training there, I felt that I was training in Lloyds in 2014. You know, like a lot of great people training together. Like you have the double gold at Euros, purple belt, blue belt, brown belt. You know, like you have every single guy that is winning every single tournament. And the way they are hungry, you know, makes me remember about myself five or six years ago. You know, and when I train with them I can feel it. I can feel like man, the guys want to want to beat you up. They wanna, you know, they wanna prove something. They wanna they wanna eat, you know. So that was the best thing. Like the energy, of course, like I learned a lot of techniques from them too. You know, I was there, man, it was it was awesome. And also I didn't have my baby in there so I could focus on myself. You know, it was it was awesome, man, experience. Like, being in Brazil, speak Portuguese, you know, listen to Brazilian music, it all makes me happier, you know. Warm, it was pretty warm in there. So everything makes me happy about Brazil, you know. Being there is crazy.
1: Ali, I wanted to uh, show one of your matches uh, back from the year that you won Worlds, if you want to queue it up, uh, Caleb. So this is 2018. This is a year... Going into Worlds, we'll just play the whole match and let you talk about the tournament and everything. Nobody was really talking about you this year, right? Everybody thought it was going to be Leandro versus Nicholas, correct?
3: Yeah. Uh huh. So this is great. That was great for me.
1: This is the semifinal. Maybe just talk about this tournament and and how things went for you at the tournament and everything.
3: Yeah. So like there, people. A lot of people thought, "Oh my God, Muhammad is walking. He's not running." So he's very concentrating and everything, but nah, my foot, my left foot was, was messed up because I had a fight with uh, Felipe Andrew the day before, and he almost broke my foot, you know. So my my foot was very, very bad, you know. I oh, forgot me, about that foot line in the open yeah, class. Move. Yeah. So yeah, man, like that, that match was crazy. Um, I remember I watched his match against Vitor Honorio in Brasileiros. And, and he had a little um, transition. Onorio had him in a transition where he kind of passed his guard and he had a little switch on the grip, on the pants. Uh, and Lloyd got very, um, how can I say, excited about that. And the week after that, Lloyd came to me and said, man, that's what we're doing if we fight Nicholas at Worlds. And we drilled that every day for 20 minutes until Worlds, you know. And when I got to the match, I knew kind of where I wanted to get. That's why I have, like, my right grip over on, on his pants over there. And I knew that eventually I would grab both of his legs. But the only thing that was d- different on the match, it was different from the training, was that I didn't feel confident to do my positions that were drilled. But I felt if I hold that long enough, I would maybe stress him out, you know? And I think that's what happened, you know? So, like, he, I was from there. I was also training there for Keenan, too, because that was the leg even Fikina had the little lapels if i killed his left leg he wouldn't be able to do much and that's what i'm doing now with nicolas you know holding his uh leg that he does the la Riva the most you know ah, okay and it was beautiful because they they the next year he kind of did what he's trying to do now he didn't use his left leg, but he went to the omoplata on the other arm. You know, it was, it was very smart for him. You know, so he he changed his whole strategy, and it was very smart. You know,
1: so you had been fighting Nicholas like since purple
3: belt, right? Yeah, uh, we fought purple and then black. Oh, okay. We didn't, we didn't see ourselves. We didn't uh, meet on brown belt because he stayed one more year a purple belt. I won worlds. He won worlds, but he lost the absolute to Edwin Najmi. Yeah, and then he stayed a whole another year as a purple belt, and then the next year I won brown belt double gold, and I got my black belt. And then he won double gold as brown belt. You know.
1: So uh, So mentally going into this, oh, here you go. Here's where you set it up.
3: Yeah, that's when I got both of his legs. You know, and I wouldn't let it go anymore. Yeah, you like I'll stay there forever, like for I think, two minutes. And that's forever, you know, fighting like a final or something. That's a long time. So and what's I was going- very calm. And it, but my foot, look at my my foot was pretty bad, you know. So I knew I couldn't scramble much, but I could do that, like put pressure and hold. My grips were pretty strong. And, man, I, everything was great from that specific position, you know.
1: So is this similar to what you and Lloyd had been working on the Honorio position, or is yeah, this something different? Every time,
3: but the only the only difference was uh, when Honorio got that, he would switch to the same to the close uh, leg, and like let's say my left my my right arm would grab his right leg, and my left would go to his neck. You know, but I didn't do that. I stayed. You know, I stayed disciplined, putting pressure and everything. And in my mind, I kind of wanted to go the whole mat, you know, to use the whole mat, get back to the middle, and then pass. But it didn't happen. Like, I, I ended up passing when we got too close to the yellow part, you know. What's going through your head yeah, when you we get here? Kind of too
1: long, too. Huh? What's going through your head when you get here? Are you just thinking, like, man, I got to capitalize on this? Like, I got Marigali in a bad no, spot? I... No, in my
3: mind, I was just... Like, I didn't think it was I was fighting Medigali or I was fighting the semifinals. Like, I, I wouldn't pressure myself like that, you know. Or the only thing I did was, man, just stay disciplined to the game plan, you know, and um, uh, do the right things because you cannot mess up, you know. If you mess up, that's when you're gonna um, you have to scramble, and if you scramble with a foot like that, it's gonna be bad, you know. So, yeah, that's when Ali, kind of you you, you stayed
2: you mentioned that you stayed kind of disciplined, like insisting on that pass, but not really overcommitting to it. Did you feel that like Marigali didn't know how to deal? Like, did you feel his frustration that he didn't know how to deal with what you were doing? Like, did you, did you get that feeling from him at all?
3: It was more like an energy kind of thing. There was a lot of stuff in there. I don't know that we never talk about that. I never seen him talking about that, but, um, Looking back, I was a guy that he he always beat, you know. He beat me twice before that match, you know. So in my mind, because of the hype and everything that was going on on that specific day, I think he didn't even think about losing for me, you know. I think in my on his mind, he was like, okay, I'm going to fight this guy. I'm on the finals, you know. So in my mind, I think he didn't respect and I respect him so much. You know, I think that was the thing. And honestly, I think if he commit to get out of the pass and everything, I think he would maybe do it. But because of he was so calm and he was so confident, maybe that's when he like, he was overcome. He was like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then you losing 5-0 is five minutes left, you know, and four minutes left and you have to do something. You know, on like on the semifinals it's very hard to do that, you know. Yeah, right here So right. I think like he had he had everything to do to to um to do anything. Like from like honestly, if on the semifinals, finals anybody can beat anybody, you know. And I think that was the thing I had in my mind. It was very clear, like, man, I can beat this guy today, you know, and I, and I was very disciplined, which is rare. I'm not usually uh, worried or trying to avoid anything from people, but because I had a bad foot, I was like, "Man, I I cannot make mistakes," you know, and that's that's what I did the whole tournament basically.
1: It's gonna sound crazy, but do you think having the bad foot sort of helped you there because it made you stay low?
3: Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. That was the best thing that happened to me, you know, that year.
1: Thanks a lot, Felipe Andrew, for breaking <laughs> Ali's foot that year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
3: man. Yeah, man. One hundred percent. That's beautiful, though. Like people, a lot of people say that. um, Like, everything helps the champion, right? Like everything that helps that happens will benefit the champion, right? Everybody says that. Uh, Every single winner says that. Even Mario Hayes told told me that that year, because after that match, I remember Nicholas was on the floor for fifteen minutes. He didn't move. They had like a long conversation. Everything. That's why like I like Mario Hayes so much because he does very good on winning and losing. And I remember Mario Hayes coming to me and saying, Man, there is no way you're gonna lose to Leandro Lowe, man, because I can feel the energy around you. Like the whole tournament, like every like everything helped me, you know. So um that's that's what I think. Like, even like Gutenberg getting disqualified and getting kicked out from the whole tournament, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, after that match with Briggs. Little, yeah. He little, yeah, he had a little fight with him. And so he got – he he couldn't compete the, the division because it was very very uh, bad thing that he did. So in my mind, like, everything helped me. You know, it was my year. You know, it's just like everybody else say. Like, the year before, it was urban. Like, there's no doubt about it. Like, it was urban. You know, and that year, I felt there was no way I could lose that thing. You know, looking back, that's what I – feel you know even like gf team people like cheering for me you know that was crazy
1: yeah i remember them cheering for you uh yeah it's a classic mario hayes blessing you blessing your energy there uh so then you you defeated him and then you went on and and leandro you're gonna fight leandro in the final and leandro got hurt during your match how did you feel about that situation
3: at first i didn't care like on the match I didn't care like in my in my mind it was before the match it was like man I love Leandro so much he's probably one of my favorites you know but he got seven man you know in my mind it's like man this guy won seven times like no (laughs) he got seven already I already love him everybody loves him but now I have like there is no way you know and that's the energy I carry to fight him you know So the
0: number then didn't intimidate you because some people might see those seven titles and be like, man, who's going to dethrone Leandro after seven titles? But you were motivated by that fact.
3: Yeah, yeah. Like, as I said before, man, like fighting Sunday, you know, fighting on the pyramid Sunday and fighting a semifinals, like beating a guy who always beats you, it always, like, it it boosts your your confidence and everything else, you know? Like my foot wasn't relevant anymore. In my mind I was like, man, you can, I can. After the match, go there and cut my legs off. I don't care. <laughs> but now there is no pain. There is no anything. I'm gonna win. You know. But if you say like my foot was pretty bad, I couldn't do, I couldn't do speed at all, and that was weird for me. You know.
1: So then you, after this day, you go, you become a black belt world champion. What's going through your mind? How did it feel? Did it change your life? Like, how did it feel the next day? Like. What
3: what was your experience with it? It was actually bad a little bit because man, you wake up every single day and work for something for ten years, and one day you get it. If it leaves you like it, it makes you happy, but at the same time, you're a little empty, you know? Because oh my god, what about now? What am I gonna do and everything? My daughter was six months old back in the day. And then I was like, okay, so how am I gonna make money and everything? You know, so everything was going through my mind. And I'm like, okay, so what am I gonna do? You know. So it left me an empty space too in my heart, and it took me a little while to to digest, you know. And also like after having a conversation with Lucas Lapri, man, on my Saltinho, that would make me it made me click everything that I was going through because I won worlds, I got super happy, but at the same time, I wasn't getting better sponsors, I wasn't making more money, like, my life didn't change much the way I would expect, you know? And in my mind, I was like, okay, so what am I gonna do to, you know, to fulfill that emptiness, and how am I gonna keep myself motivated to do it again, if, in my mind now, it doesn't make sense to do it again, you know? So it was tough man and also like i didn't have many people to ask you know like i didn't have world champions around me to ask the, those kind of questions and when lucas Lepre said that after his first world title he only won again seven years later that made a click on my mind you know he was like man at first i got very depressed you know like my life didn't change by winning uh worlds and stuff and I took a long time to organize my my life financially and everything that only seven years later I was able to get back on track and win again and when he said that, I was like, "Oh my God, that's what I'm going through right now you know so that was the perfect momentum when he told me that you know,
0: man, it's been super interesting. we've had we had Lucas Leprey on the podcast, Marcelo Braglio, almost all of them have echoed the same idea that after their first world title. There was a big now what moment for them, and um, they all had to work through it differently in their own ways to sort of reignite that that fire and that passion. Do you think you have found? I mean, the season's kind of over right now, but do you feel like
1: you're entering a good period at M- the moment? Remember, Bernardo said after he won his first world title, he showed up at Fabio Grischel's house. He oh, yeah. Said yeah, said the that. next the next day he showed up at Fabio's house and said, "So what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: a world He's got to knock someone's <laughs> door." <Yeah. laughs>
3: Man, I think I think winning worlds is like becoming a millionaire, you know. You're gonna have problems, but you wanna have those problems, right? Like I wanna have millionaires problems, you know, and but I didn't I didn't plan myself for that. I didn't organize myself for that. I thought by winning worlds I wouldn't have to do much else in life to make money and everything, you know. So that was a big mistake. But at the same time, that was the only way to do it. Like I, you you have to feel by yourself. Even though even if I had other people telling me that I wouldn't I wouldn't believe and I wouldn't you know so for the young guys, you know, if you're watching this and you're a purple belt or blue belt, don't worry about that. Don't think about that at all. Don't get ready for that. You know, just think about winning because winning is awesome. It's going to change your life. It's going to make you like the match, the Matrix. I remember Lloyd, man, telling me, man, do you watch Matrix, man. You have to watch Matrix to believe you're the one, blah, 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 blah. And, man, like the the Matrix, you feel that as soon as you win, you feel the power. Like, man, now, like Dan Gable said, right? After you have wrestled, everything else in life is easy. Is, is what is what I feel now. Like, I feel, man, I can do anything I want. You know, if I put the effort, if I plan, if I have the right people around me, I can do anything. So, by winning worlds as a black belt, I kind of locked a part of my brain that says, man, you can do anything. You just have to talk to yourself and see what is, like, what is that you want. Like, because a lot of times, You want stuff for the wrong reasons and everything. You just have to find something that you really love and do for the right reasons, and you're going to get it, man. Just keep working and everything, you know. So that's the way I see life right now.
1: So uh, we just started doing something on the show where, like, the person that's on the day before has a question for who's on there now. So yesterday we had uh, Braulio and Roger on. And Braulio had a question for you. Braulio's question for you was, "What was the biggest moment of your career? Like, what you were most proud of, and what do you want to achieve with the rest of your career? What's what's some? What's a goal that you wanna? You haven't got yet that you want to do."
3: Oh my God! The best moment. I don't know. Like winning worlds as Black Bear was awesome, but I don't think I. I reached my full potential yet, you know, as a black belt and I didn't tap anybody on that tournament. So it was kind of, it was great, but I didn't feel super happy. I, I don't know, maybe because I had to deal with my foot, you know, and everything, but like brown belt, it was awesome because I beat people that I didn't believe I would, you know, I didn't believe I would win the tournament, to be honest. And I won. So, Brown Belt, I think it was the biggest moment. And what I want to do, man, I want to win absolute, the absolute. You know, I want to win the absolute, man, for sure.
1: Who were you? Who you said that you didn't think you were going to beat everybody at Brown Belt? Who were you thinking back then? You weren't going to beat? Who were the the big names?
3: So I like in my mind, the guy who would win the open way would be Onario. Ah, okay. You know because he was a very hard, like tough guy to beat, you know, and I didn't remember anybody who could beat him, but there was, you know, and the guy beat him in the quarterfinals, I think. So he didn't even place. So that means he didn't, he couldn't do the absolute really, you know? So, yeah. So he lost his division and he could not uh, um, uh, put put his name on the absolute. So that was crazy.
1: So you, you said that you uh really want to win the world's absolute black belt. What do you think that would mean to you? How...
3: Man. I don't know, man. That that that's the ultimate goal, you know. That's just saying, man, I'm the one, like I'm the guy, you know, like I I'm the best, you know. Winning winning the absolute means you you just don't have any like much more to do. You know, you can of of course you can do it again you can do it better, you know, like Hodger did, but man, like doing stuff like Bushesha does, man, that's so crazy. That's, that's do you see, amazing.
2: Sorry. I was going to say, do you see, if that's one of your goals is to win the absolute. And if you do do that, and I, you know, I really hope you achieve that dream. Do you see yourself, um, trying to continue to repeat that like Bushesha, like Hodger, or do you feel like that's just a, a goal that you want to accomplish and, and maybe move on, maybe go back to something like MMA. I, I remember seeing your name on a Cowboy fights poster at one point. Is that, you know, I, I didn't know if that was legit or not. But is is there other things that you want to do outside of high level competition?
3: Yeah, I think I would just stick with jiu jitsu. You know, I want to do MMA one day in my life, and I don't know how I'm gonna feel when I do that. You know, maybe I, oh my god, that's what I want to do forever. Blah blah blah. But right now I think I want to win worlds you know as many times as I can uh, I don't think you plan to win worlds 13 times you know like I don't think I don't think that's on somebody's like oh okay so I want to train jiu Jitsu to win 13 times I don't think that's what you plan but I think you reach I don't know man I cannot say because I didn't even win the open weight yet so I cannot tell you how it's gonna feel and everything but I Of course, when I keep doing it, because like, man, regardless, let's say if I have to stop competing today, if the coronavirus cancel all the tournaments for the next 10 years, I'm going to still train in jujitsu. You know, I love that thing. I won't stop like my I'm going to teach jujitsu to my daughter if she wants to learn. So um, I don't think that's a thing that I do for medals. You know, that's not my goal. You know, I don't, and I don't think that's going to change me as a human being like, oh, OK, I want 10 word tires, I want five. I don't excuse me. I don't think that's going to make me a better person, you know, but I know that by sacrificing, by discipline, by everything else, that's what's going to make me a better person. You know, and I'm going to do that regardless, you know,
0: Muhammad, Uh, Tomorrow we have a couple of your good friends, Cyborg and Wagner Rosha will be on the show do you, do you want to think of a couple questions for those guys? Maybe one for each? Uh, something that you've been curious about?
3: Yeah, man, I'm curious about the... the. He kind of don't like when I talk about that. <laughs> I, was talk, I, I was talking the other day, man, about his heart and everything because I really, you know, mm, I, right. I want to know because he, he kind of told me one day, man, like one day we had lunch, right? It was me, Victor... Doria, it was um, Patrick Gaudio, and all the guys, man. And I'm eating uh, using my phone, you know when you're not paying attention to the conversation? And then, man, I'm eating, 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 and then this guy say, man, I need to have a heart surgery. Man, I remember, my heart started racing. <laughs> I was like, man, what you what you just told? What you just said? He's like, no, no, like, I have something in my heart, blah, 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 blah. I was like, man, like I just might remember that my hands start sweating, you know, and I got I get very like, oh, my God, how can this guy eat, train, live his life knowing that he has something, you know, I don't even understand if that's bad or not. I don't think it's bad, but I, I always ask him, hey, man, what about, you know, that little thing? <laughs> 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 hey, no, man, no, no, it's not a big deal, man. I do what I have to do, blah, 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 but I, you know, kind of want to know that. And for Wagner, I want to understand that's kind of like a general question. You're probably going to ask them anyways. But I kind of want to understand how is business over there, you know, like how is everything with this coronavirus, you know, like because I haven't heard from them for a long time. And I want, kind of want to understand how is everything in Florida, you know, and because, man, that thing is a little scary, you know, for jujitsu Now, man, I watch Trump saying every single day, I go there and watch him. What he's gonna say? When we're gonna be released and everything? (laughs) And like when now I kind of found my routine. I train. I I do my back. Everything. I kind of. I'm kind of better now. But I was freaking out, man, at home. So I want to know, like, if they freaking out because I know Wagner likes to train, man. This guy is very active and he likes to teach too. So he likes to teach. He likes to train. He likes to communicate with people. So I wanna, I wanna know like how is everything, uh, with this Corona thing over there. I feel like
1: Wagner
0: has to fight yeah. people. I don't see him what's, being a much of a
3: cyclist. What's, <laughs> what's it like training with Wagner? We yeah. keep hearing
1: all this stuff about all the trash talk. People tell us he tra- talks trash in training and everything. What's it like training with Wagner?
3: Man, believe it or not, we didn't roll. We didn't roll. He rode with Patrick, uh, but, but I think he had he had issues with his lower back. And he didn't want to risk, you know, rolling with me because I was kind of big back in the day. And, um, yeah, we didn't roll. But, I like, watching him is amazing, man. I remember watching a roll from him. You might have this roll because you guys went there. Uh, him and Dorinho, man, it was awesome. I remember that.
1: Uh, Victor Doria is in the comments. He says to tell you, yes, they are freaking out. He answered your question. <laughs>
3: yeah man like yeah even victor too man victor i know he has a uh, little elbow issue so he might be super happy about it he's like oh just because i got hurt you know this little thing uh, <laughs> yeah, just, just like kind of man like kind of he he cannot fight for a year but we cannot fight too. So he might be like, ah, you're stupid. You know, we're <laughs> Yeah, <man."> yeah. Chilling. <laughs> you have to be out too, you know. So yeah, man, I know he's the bad
2: You know what? That, that's a good point. Does kind of suspension get shifted? Or is it, oh my you know what I mean? Or is no. he going to be eligible to come back yes, now?
3: Mikey. He... I, t- I, I even told him about that. I was like, bro, you're the goat, man. Look what <laughs> you, <laughs> <do> you Yeah. <laughs> my, Mikey
1: said that on the Match Rewind the other day. He said, this is the best you saw to suspension ever because there's no tournaments during it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, all right, we had a couple uh fan questions for you. Yeah. Uh, one person asked if we're going to see you at 88 kilograms again. I think I think I know the answer to that one. I don't think you're getting down to 88 kilograms.
3: Uh, I never did 88 kilograms.
0: Yeah, yeah. When I, I don't juvenile, remember. When I, when you I will have to cut off a leg to do that. Did, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, When I when I did juvenile when I was juvenile, you did ultra heavyweight. I never did below. <laughs> yeah. I never uh, did. When I was when I was 17 years old, I I used to weigh 200 pounds away. Oh
1: my God. I, here's what i like what what's from a guy isaac Bonilla? what is your favorite technique from the bottom what's your favorite sweep
3: or submission from the guard i love lasso guard i love it i love lasso man I, I like close guard even more but i don't think i'm good at close guard at all right now i used to i used to tap people from close guard all the time but then i lost the technique or something
2: Ali, you you say you don't think you're good at all these positions, but you're freaking a
3: machine. You're a world champion. You're honestly one
2: of the most. You're one of the most humblest guys out that we know in the sport. You're intimidating to watch, but it, it's so nice to hear. Uh, you know, you kind of show that humble side, and, and you know, for other people to kind of get you to know us, for us to get to know you a little bit more, and how truly humble you are. It's it's pretty cool, man. But man, don't don't kid yourself. You're good in everything, so. So don't, don't be too I humble. I don't
3: here. think that's being humble, man. Like I'm just telling the truth. Like when I, when I, in my, because it's a point of view too. When I think about stuff, I think about black belt level, right? I think about like winning worlds. So in my mind, is like, man, can I win a final against somebody who's super good with this technique? If the the answer is not I don't think that's good enough yet, you know. So, in my mind, it's like, okay, so I'm not a good thrower, you know, because if I fight absolute finals against Buchecha, am I going to throw him? Maybe, you know, but I got to, you know, keep practicing and keep getting better. So, it's not – I think that's not being humble, you know. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But, yeah, that's the way I think. Like, I like close guard, but, man, I would love – you know what I would love, man? My biggest – that would be awesome. Is to fight like margarita, man. Close guard, choke people out. Yep. Oh my god, that's that sounds beautiful, man. <laughs> ahead, grab your collar and choke you out. And you train jiu-jitsu for fifteen years, and you cannot defend my like, choke from close guard. You know that that that's kind of weird. You know that's that's like mind blowing a little bit. And the guy did it against everybody who was great. On the time, right? That was the biggest thing. Like, man, how can you oh. do something like that? And, Roger, like, season sweeping people, like, stuff like that makes me crazy, you know?
1: Uh, another question we have here is Do you want to win ADCC as bad as IBJJF Worlds?
3: No. No, I like, I like, I love ADCC. I think it's beautiful. You know, it's a nice tournament and everything. But that's not some something that I like, I go to the bad. I think before I go to sleep about winning ADCC, that's not what I think about. I mean, I love ADCC. I want to win ADCC for sure. And I think if you get ready to win double goal at Worlds, you end up winning ADCC too. You know, it's not that much of differences. But that's not my biggest dream. No.
1: Another uh, person here is asking, "Are you gonna can?" You, or they're requesting, "Can you grow your hair out again?" Are we gonna see uh, the long hair yeah. like twenty seventeen ADCC?
3: Mm, man, it's a lot of work. You know, <laughs> I, I I love it. I when I, when I see people with big hair, like I remember watching Gutenberg. Man, I was like, "Man, your hair is awesome." You know, don't cut <laughs> it out. And then two months later, he cuts it. You know, and Isaac later. Izaki. Exactly. he was like one time when they were training the next day he cut his hair i was like bro why he's like man that's a lot of work you know and with hair man you think oh that's gonna protect me from cold right but when it gets cold your hair actually freezes because you a little sweat <laughs> man it, it's so crazy it, like it's, it's work maybe if i like now would be a nice time you know to do it because i'm not training as much now now would be a nice time but i don't know man
1: All right, so we just got a couple minutes left. Uh, Do you want to give some sort of uh, message to your fans, to the people at home watching uh, before we get out of here?
3: Yeah, for sure, man. I want to, man, just tell people to stay home. Don't be selfish, you know. And also, also, that's very important. I want to thank all my sponsors that are still supporting me on this time. You know, because some of some the sponsors, you know, they, they call me and say, man, we don't have money. If we don't sell, we don't have money to pay you. And I'm like, man, okay, I'm going to support you guys forever. Like, I don't care. And, I mean, I care, but, you know, I understand the situation and everything. And some others, man, they they call me and say, man, just, sell it, just letting you know that regardless of what happened, we got you, you know, we got your back and everything. And I'm here to, you know, thank these people, you know, because it's bad for everybody. You know, it's not just bad for the entrepreneurs, it's bad for the athletes too, it's bad for the, uh, the gym owners, it's bad for the, the students who are at the, the gym trying to learn, you know, so I'm here to say thank you for everybody who's still supporting jitsu. You know, if you're going through hard times, and, you know, other people are going through a hard, hard times too, and you're still supporting them. Man, congratulations. You are real martial artist, you know, because now on the bad times, that's when we see who is who, you know. And I want to thank everybody who is still supporting Jiu-Jitsu, who is still supporting fro- Flow Grappling, who is still supporting what you're supposed to be supporting, you know. Thank you very much.
1: You said you want to thank your sponsors for supporting you, but what are your sponsors?
3: Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, man! I have um, Hyperfly, I have Zebra, I have uh, Fighter's Choice, I have Monkey Tape, uh, Built, I even did a little, you know, thing with them. Yeah, man. Everybody, everybody who's been supporting me, and not just me, man. Jujitsu, you know, I'm re- irrelevant right now. Yeah. You know, we cannot compete. Like athletes are I- irrelevant right now. But what I want to say is that Jiu-Jitsu, man, is not me. You know, like I'm nothing. Let's talk about Jiu-Jitsu. If you're supporting Jiu-Jitsu, if you're supporting your athlete, I'm thanking you too. Like, it doesn't have to be my sponsor, you know, just people who are still supporting, you know.
0: Man, that's a great message. Uh, we definitely echo that here at Flow Grappling. Muhammad. thank you so much for calling and sharing your knowledge. Had a lot of fun chatting with you today. And we'll be sure to ask Cyborg and Wagner those questions tomorrow. Uh, everyone at home, like always, stay safe, stay, stay sane. And uh, tune in tomorrow for another episode of Who's Number One with Cyborg and Wagner Ocha. See you guys tomorrow.